Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and to worship. Um, so welcome, welcome to everyone who's here on, in person and welcome to those who are online who are joining us that way. Um, but as we gather here, it's good to remember that God's the one that's called us to come and to uh, gather as his people to interrupt our kind of normal lives to come on this Sabbath day to worship and as we begin, I just want to highlight a few announcements. Um, if you look at your order of worship, on the inside cover, there's some information about the service, and I just want to make sure that we, we know that we're having shorter services during this time, and that um, we're asking everybody to wear a mask while they're in the building. And also, if you'd like to give to the, to the work of the church, like to give offering uh, in response to God's generosity, there are silver uh, offering plates in the back. You can drop offering there or uh, do that online as well. Also, if you're visiting, we're glad that you're here. We're, thanks for, that, for joining us. You can leave your information if you want to learn more about the church or sign up for our weekly email. You can do that online uh, through a Connect card online or on the welcome table when you came in. There was a card you could fill out uh, and drop off in a box there. So I uh, hope you can do that. A couple other things just to, to mention is that um, you'll see our children's classes that are going on. There's children's worship and the preschool class today along with nursery. And those kids will be dismissed in just a moment. Um, the other thing just to, to mention is that uh, this, starting this Tuesday, uh, Monica Johnson and I are going to lead a, a Bible study in the community space. That's at 7.30 on Tuesday nights. We'll do that for the next four weeks. And it will be kind of um, a, a liturgy of, of reading scripture and discussing and praying together. We'll look at a psalm and a gospel lesson each week and have time to, to pray w- with each other as well. So that's at 7.30 in the community space over on Rockwell. If you have questions, let me know. The last thing to mention is just to remind people that youth group is today, 11 o'clock, over in the community space at Rockwell, 4639 North Rockwell. If you have questions, you can talk to Pastor Eric about that. Well, this time, any children that are going to head to children's worship or go to the preschool class, they can go to the, to the back of the uh, sanctuary there, to the door that leads down to the basement, and their classes uh, will go the whole length of the service. They'll finish the same time Uh, that the service does up here. As we prepare to worship, let's take a moment of quiet to to come before God and to prepare ourselves to come and to respond to His goodness. Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 1. This morning, I'd ask you to stand with us so we can sing together. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the love of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the love Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the the light is in the law of the Lord. 
How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee, O oh, be not dismayed. For I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand. Upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. You may be seated. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious, merciful, steadfast God, our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, out of the goodness of your heart, you have extended your love to us, creating everything that we see around us, the heavens and the earth, giving us our very breath and life. And Lord God, you did not stop there, but yet you have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed yourself to us through creation itself, through the mighty mountains, the vast stars, the deepest seas. Lord, you have revealed yourself to us through your words, through the message of the prophets and the apostles. And Lord God, you have graciously drawn near to us in flesh and blood in Jesus Christ, your Son. And yet, God, oftentimes, even though you have revealed yourself to us, we can feel distant. We can feel far from you and far from others. We come with troubled hearts. We come with minds filled with worries and doubts, filled with the past week and stresses, filled with the unknowns, we come lamenting the world that we often experience, one of harshness, one that feels graceless. But yet, God, you are gracious to draw near to us, to meet us, to draw near to these places in our hearts where we feel empty and without you. Our hearts often do lead us astray. We find ourselves wandering and searching for things that we seek satisfaction in only to come up empty. Lord God, we pray that this morning as we draw around your word, as we pray, as we sing, that you would draw near, that we would find our rest in you, that you would renew us and fill us with hope, and that you would move us forward, that you would move us forward into our communities, into our families, into hard places that seem too difficult to move into, but you are there with us. We pray that you would sustain us now by your spirit this morning. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue to gather to worship, our God is gracious to draw near to us when we come burdened, overwhelmed, and even wrestling with our own brokenness, our own sin. He's gracious to hear our confession. We'll do that first publicly and then privately. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask for your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness, in your great compassion. Cleanse us from our sin. Amen.
stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected, yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. Proofs I see sufficient of it, tis the true and faithful word. Tell me ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends through fear his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him, none would interpose to say, but the deepest stroke that him was the stroke that justice gave. You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may you its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of Man and Son of God. Here we have a firm foundation, here the refuge of the lost, Christ the rock of our salvation, Christ the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt, none shall ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. I invite you to take a moment of silent confession. Loving God, we thank you that your posture towards us is not one of guilt-tripping, of shaming, of chiding like a child, but your posture towards us is to free sinners 
to draw near to us in our pain. And you do this by the blood and power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for that. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand with me and we'll read these words of assurance together from Psalm 145. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry and saves them. Amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament lesson is from Hosea 14, verses 1 through 9. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In, your, in you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord.
thankful for a chance to look at God's Word with you this morning, and thank you, Gina, for reading the Scriptures. Um, We're going to continue on our sermon series of looking at chapters 13 through 17 of the Gospel of John, and I've mentioned this the last couple weeks, but this is Jesus stepping out of the public into a, a private time with his disciples, with those closest to him, right before he is betrayed and arrested and killed. He's giving final prayers and final words, instructions, and we have a chance for us to hear about the nature and the mission of the church. Before we look at our passage from chapter 14, I want to give a note of context of kind of where we are in this, that our passage opens with a reference to troubled hearts. Troubled hearts. Troubled carries this image in the Greek of water, that is roiling, swirling. Maybe we can picture a choppy Lake Michigan on a day when the waves are crashing. This is the description of the disciples' hearts. Their hearts are unsettled. And this is the case for a variety of reasons, some of which is that because Jesus has told them that he is about to die, about to depart from them, but also that they will be part of that. They will betray him, they will run away, they will deny him. But this image of troubled hearts is not just for the disciples. I imagine that all of us, in some ways, can relate what it means to have the waters of our hearts be unsettled, to be choppy, where life is filled with all sorts of trouble, We experience that in all types of ways, with those close to us, those far from us, inside our own struggles. And we're in a season right now, especially stormy season, filled with uncertainties, marking us with weariness and fear. And so I want us to hear that in these realities, in these realities for us and for the disciples, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Do not go on being troubled, but set your hearts at rest in me. That's how our passage begins. So let's read together. This is from John 14, 1 through 11. You can follow in your order your Bible or read as I read. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as we look at this, I want us to think about Jesus offering us words, words for troubled hearts. And he offers an assurance or a promise at first, and then he also offers us a challenge. So we'll start by looking at this assurance into their troubled hearts. Jesus speaks of his father's house. In my father's house are many rooms. I will depart to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to take you there myself, that where I am you may be also." a place for us, a place to stay, a place that is home. 
we could relate to this, right? That the image is not just about a physical building, but rather it speaks beyond that to connection, to welcome, to not being alone. The image that Jesus gives here of a place, of a home, is very significant. It is part of the, the basic part of being a human being, that our humanness to long for and seek such a refuge where we can be safe and known and welcome. Such longing is in every human heart, yet we know that in our world it, it seems often not only unresponsive to that, but even hostile. It's difficult in this world to build or find such a home. But the Father's house is different. Jesus says there's many rooms. When Jesus says, my Father's house, the only other time he's used that term is to speak of the temple in Jerusalem. Here in our passage, he's speaking of a heavenly temple. The temple in Jerusalem was the place, the place where God's presence was with his people. I am your God and you are my people. We are together. And now Jesus speaks of an eternal temple, a new house not built by human hands, but constructed by God. And in both cases, the emphasis is on a place, a refuge in which we will dwell with God, that God will know us and that we'll know God and that we'll be not on our own. You see the central promise at the heart of what Jesus is describing here, this longing. He said, I go to prepare a place. I am doing a work. I am preparing something. Why? So that where I am, you may be also. It's similar to what we hear in Romans. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Or in Ephesians, that God has raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. That there is a union at the heart of the gospel. That we belong to God. And in his grace, he belongs to us. This refuge, this shelter of love and of the work of Christ is both now, now in part, that we have this promise. But it's also an eternal promise for the future of fullness that will arrive, that we'll know fully. A well-known author, Madeline Engel, <clears throat> maybe you know her, she wrote A Wrinkle in Time. Well, she tells a story in one of her books about her faith of a neighbor, a, a boy that at some point asked her out of the blue if she was afraid to die. Are you afraid to die? She was a little startled, but she said, of course, of course I am. His response, she said, was... <clears throat> Thank God. Thank God no one else will dare admit it. <laughs> Thank you for saying so. She tells this story. It might sound odd, but she tells this story because she says when he asked that, it's an opportunity for her to think about what is faith. Faith, she says, is, is admitting our fears. Faith invites us with trust to admit our fears and to move on to the hope and promise of God, that God works not just in our joys or not when everything is going the way we desire, but God even works in his present in our tragedies. You see, Jesus here, he knows that a great storm is upon him and the disciples. I want to be clear, he's not denying that reality. He's not saying that there is no trouble. He gives a promise and he gives an assurance that even in the midst of this crashing storm that's at work in them and all around them, in these troubles he makes a promise that even as he is betrayed and even as his disciples fail or are overcome with fear or even in the face of injustice, even in the face of his own death, Jesus assures them that he will not abandon them or lose them. 
See, Jesus is not denying the reality of trouble, but offering us a hope and a promise and assurance in the midst of it. That there is something more, something that will endure, something that will even continue and be strong, even in the face of the deepest of waters. Many of us, even this day, feel deeply troubled. The roaring waters of being let down by others, being hurt by them. Or maybe the pain of our own failings, the things that came to mind during our time of confession. Or we feel afraid and worried that we can't see the way at what's ahead of us. We feel afraid. And Jesus does not deny those realities, but says, do not continue being troubled. Do not see only the trouble. But believe in God and believe also in me. There is something that will endure even in the face of them. So Jesus offers us this assurance, something to hold. But I suggest that he also then offers a challenge to the disciples and to us as we hear this and think about our experience. He adds, you know the way to where I'm going. And this is one of the greatest, I think, places in the, the Gospels where Thomas I can almost picture him like laving his hands, like, you know, we don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're talking about. What, what do you even mean? <laughs> and Jesus offers us, you know, the assurance of a place. But now as he answers the questions from Thomas to then Philip later, he gives us a challenge to think about. In the midst of troubled hearts, in the midst of, of a choppy and stirring heart, where do we find shelter and rest? What, what way do we entrust ourselves to? And Jesus does not shy away from this question, but he leans fully into it. Do you, do you see what he says? One of the most well-known passages, maybe not only in the Gospel of John, but in the New Testament. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want us to just reflect on this in a few ways. First, just to say, what, what is he saying? Jesus is offering himself in all his uniqueness. He's not merely a witness to the truth. He is the truth. He's not a prophet who will point you in the right direction. He is the way. He's not one hoping that there'll be life down the road, but he's saying that he can give life even in the midst of our sin in death, in broken world. Blaise Pascal talks about human life and he uses the image of an ocean. He said that often life feels like you're at drift in the sea and wave after wave come and all you want is some place to put your feet, some place that will be steady. And so when we hear Jesus talk about himself as, as this unique person we need to hear him about who he is, but we also need to think about our circumstances. This question, is there something that we can stand upon? Is there something that will endure, something that will allow us to know that there's more than waves? And the reality is that we search for that all the time and we seek in different ways, especially in times of trouble. But what the scriptures tell us and what our human experience validates is that there is no one here and no one that will ever meet that can find a place to put their feet on their own. There's no one here that can find something that will withstand the waves of life. And so in that place, Jesus says that he, he alone can give us stones and rocks and a refuge to stand upon. He can tell us what is true and guide our path. He can offer us a way, a way that is right and good and brings life. He can offer us life, the resurrection greater than all other things. And not only does he point us these things out, but he alone can lift us and place us on the rock to which to stand. To stress this uniqueness, when Philip asks the question, Jesus leans in and, and really redoubles what he says. He says, if you want to see what God is like, <laughs> look at me because the Father and I are together. You see, this is him saying the same thing. If you want to hear the Father's words, hear my words. If you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. Jesus is not 
backing away, for setting himself uniquely as the one who tells us who God is and how to be united to him. A couple final thoughts. I imagine that maybe, like me, that we can feel the challenge of this, not just personally, but we live in a culture that hears this as arrogant, maybe even hears it as the source of the violence and division of our world. A couple thoughts. One is that we should say that it's true and right that many Christians and many churches have been arrogant and have acted with dismissive pride. That we can forget that the refuge is not something that we built, but that it is a gift to us in Christ. And that we can set ourselves above others as more righteous than others. Or we can lift up personal preferences or make sacred, arbitrary, cultural expressions or categories. And to the extent to which we have done that or the church has done that, we need to repent and say that that is wrong. There is no place for arrogance or dismissive pride, for this is a gift And Christ, right beforehand, was the one who got down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet and tell us to do the same. So we not acknowledge our own arrogance. But there's other things to say. For this is not just a Christian problem, but the arrogance gets to a human problem. I suggest to you, if we dethrone Jesus, if we want to bring Jesus down from this place he's placed himself, that we all will have to enthrone something or someone else. If we feel uncomfortable with Jesus lifted up this high, what will happen is that we will enthrone someone or something else. It's part of the human nature that we must surrender to someone or to something. What do we think will give us the good life? What will be the way we want our life to be? We might surrender to being good or to pleasure or doing what we think will make us happy or give us respect. We do what someone else will do because that's what we want our life to look like. We all surrender to someone or something. And what Jesus challenges us to think about here in his claim is that the one that we enthrone or the path that we enthrone, the thing that we enthrone, Is it worthy of such devotion? Is it worthy of our lives? And Hosea, Gina read, there was a repenting of making God or worshiping the things that had been made with their own hands. We can worship our happiness. We can worship our freedom. We can worship all sorts of things. Are they worthy of our devotion and lives? All idols will bring division and destruction. But Jesus alone is worthy. He alone offers what's true, what is a true way, and what is true life. Here's the God for us to see. The one who speaks in the troubled hearts, who washes sinners' feet, the righteous one who dies for the unrighteous, that we may know a home now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that we'd receive it, that it would refine our hearts and give us hope, even in this troubled day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd ask you to stand with us as we respond to God's word with singing.
is betrayed in the bread and wine. Let it fortify my bones. It is more than just a sign. It is the fountain from the desert storm. My Savior, I God, you have established us in Christ, and by your Spirit have put your seal on us. We rest on your faithfulness as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power Hosanna 
you may be seated. Well, as we come to the Lord's table, Christ's table, um, before we begin, uh, if you don't have the elements and you would like to participate, please raise your hand and one of the uh, will will bring it to you. Yeah, we got Justin. Well, as we gather to this table, um, maybe as way of reminder, our sermon series is this discourse that Jesus is giving to the disciples, and it's actually happening around a meal. They're together, they're celebrating the Passover, and there's so much significance, theological significance, spiritual significance, about how Christ is connecting his supper to the, to the future promises, to what he will accomplish, and how that's connecting to the Passover. But I, we could go down that road, and it would be a wonderful discussion. But I, I think what's even more important in light of, of this topic as we think about faith is that eating this meal is one of reception, one of faith. And as Christ, as Chad had mentioned to us, we draw near to this table not at, with troubled hearts. Many of us come with troubled hearts, and oftentimes it can be tempting to try to do something about it, to try to fix it, or to try to help others or care for others in the midst of their trouble and in the midst of our trouble. And yet the first thing that Christ invites us to and his disciples in the midst of the future trouble, in the midst of our current troubles, is to come in faith and a posture of receiving. And that is what this table represents for us, this bread and this wine, that Christ has given himself for us so that we might know that he is the way, that he is the truth, and ultimately that he is where we find real life, true life. So as we gather together here, I just, as a way of reminder, um, this is Christ's table. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is not Lincoln Square's table. Uh, this is his table. And if you confess him as your savior, as, as your king, if you seek him as the way, then this, is, this table is open for you, and we're thankful that you can be here. And if that is not the case for you right now, that, that is fine. You are welcome to be here and to reflect upon this table and the good news that it is to us. Let us pray over these elements. Gracious, merciful God, Lord, we thank you that by this bread and the wine that you have given to us, that you have promised that by faith as we eat and drink upon you, that you fill us by your grace, that you meet us in these troubled places, that you draw near to us when we come often overwhelmed, not knowing what to do, and burdened down. You do not ask us to come with it all figured out, but you ask us to come here and now to receive these elements, these holy elements, to feed us, and to meet us in these troubled places. Lord, we pray that you would even do that now, that you would meet us, that you would fill us, that you would sustain us by your Spirit. We pray this in your holy, gracious, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Well, the night before Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death of Christ until he comes again. The body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. blood of Christ poured out for you. Take and drink. Let us pray in thanks. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for Christ. 
We thank you for the ways in which he comes into our life by your spirit, that he dwells with us and in us and through us. And Lord, we ask that as you have fed us by your word and through your supper, that you would send us out, not with it all together, but trusting in your grace and with a posture of faith, trusting that you are the one who sustains us in each and every moment of our life. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, as we respond to the table, will you stand with me? Lord Jesus, you were tempted in every way as we are, yet you did not sin. You have brought forth the reign of grace through our union with you. Give us grace to triumph over evil and to live no longer for ourselves, but for you as we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Receive now God's blessing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, may the love of God surround you now and forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. You may go in peace.